Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. Welcome to episode 75 of the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me of course is my co-host, the professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello everyone. Tonight we celebrate 75 episodes of the Asian Cinema Film Club by handing over to you, our wonderful listeners, to decide our viewing fate once again as... Every 25 episodes we like to mark it with something special And this time we decided we were going to do a trilogy from start to finish So we gave you all the choices You could have done Park Chan-wook's Vengeance trilogy You could have done the Infernal Affairs trilogy Maybe you wanted to do the Street Fighter trilogy The choices were all there for you And you, the people, decided that you would like us to cover from start to finish Sion Sono's Hate Trilogy Comprised of... um, Love Exposure, Code Fish, uh, and Guilty of Romance. So, what better way to spend our week than chipping away at the mountain that is Love Exposure with a teaspoon, um, a wonderful near four-hour film, and then knowing we also had another two films to follow it up with. So, needless to say, this is probably going to be a long episode. And also in the week where we saw Squid Game, we saw the new Cowboy Bebop live-action remake, and we're just going to put all that to the side, because tonight we're just all about the Sion Sonos Hate Trilogy. And first off, I mean, we're going to might as well just do this in chronological order, really, I guess is the best way of doing this. So to kick things off, obviously, Love Exposure, the longest film in Sion Sonos filmography, and a film which is about religion and cults and loss and love and panty shots in a rather unique tale to say the least yeah was this a first time watch for you no i'd seen it like yourself i'd seen it saw it when it was on film four originally and for some reason in my head it was it it didn't feel as long when i watched it the last time um that's really interesting because i I feel the same i i saw it i've seen it I remember watching it on the third window DVD when it came out and I remember putting it on a Sunday afternoon watching it from beginning to end I'm sure we've talked about this in one of our top 75s or something like that and I thought yeah I just watched it didn't the four hours just flew by this time my word <laughs> maybe it's age mate <laughs> I found it quite a chore Oh, that's interesting, because I mean, this is a film which is, according to Wikipedia, someone is probably best known for on the film circuit. For it's a film yeah. that was also originally six hours in length until the producers <laughs> chipped it down. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. I mean, there is um, there are two versions out there of of it still. Um, there's there's the TV edit, isn't there, which is a thirty minutes longer, um, but I think that's only available in Japan. 
I, I don't I don't know what the difference is. And I do know that Shono has said that the missing hour and a half is irretrievable and can't be refound. So all those people waiting for the six hour edit are out of luck. Phew. <laughs> Thankfully they didn't find that cup before we started this project, that's for sure. Um but no, I mean Love Exposure is certainly it's certainly an interesting film to say the least. I know I'm going to keep saying that because there's very little way of, when you look at the structure of this. And I mean, we've watched quite a few Seance sort of films between us. I mean, we've seen obviously the likes of, you know, Why Don't You Play in Hell, Tokyo Tribe, Anti Porno, Tag, uh, Suicide Club. We've discussed all those movies before. And this is, feels like something completely different yet again. Um,. I mean, yeah, it does. I mean, I guess Suicide Circle, Suicide Club, whatever name it goes by, was the one that brought him the initial acclaim, um, wrapped up as it was. I mean, you watched it. It was a fairly recent watch for you, wasn't it? Um, But wrapped up as it was in the whole J-horror, Asia Extreme kind of deal, which it potentially didn't really fit in. But there we go. But this was... Yeah, this was this was a huge festival favourite. I don't think it ever got released at the cinema in the West, but it certainly was a big festival favourite. Definitely, people were, re- you know, got it's got a UK and a US DVD and now Blu-ray release. It's it's one of his most well-known films. Lots of people think it's fantastic and it's their favourite Shono film. I've even come across someone on YouTube says it's their favourite film of all time which I would like to challenge later. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 I think hindsight's a wonderful thing sometimes, but I think he's mm. done better stuff more recently. But he's a fascinating director because he is so varied in his style and subject matter. This, but this, this belongs in that kind of earlier... Well, anyway, he's, he's, he, he himself has called it the hate trilogy. That isn't no. something other people have made up. And I was, I was thinking at thinking back, thinking how I don't really see the connection. But thinking about it, what I got out of it on the second watch is I worried less about the story and I was worrying more <laughs> about what the fuck was going on. <laughs> if that makes sense, and yes, I understand why he thinks this is part of his. We've seen this time and time again, though, when it comes to Asian cinema and their use of trilogies, because more often than not, it's reoccurring themes and ideas rather than characters. And we saw it with Patrick mm. and Book's Vengeance trilogy. We've seen it with Takashi Miike's uh, Black Triad Society, and even his Dead or Alive tri- trilogy as well. Um, all three films in those cases, all being unlinked, but carrying through a theme within them. Um, and certainly when it comes to some of those movies there's certainly many themes being carried between these movies um, certainly when we put this up on Twitter that we were watching this one in particular um, A Nightmare John Elm Street uh, posted yes, yes um, before getting into a conversation <laughs> with our good friend Mr. Daniel Lackey who said that I tried watching this once I walked away to make a snack and came back and I had no idea what was going on after an hour I still didn't have any bearings or solid grasp what was going on so I bailed on it fair enough um, to which he responded that's because it's a Sion Sono film get a snack before watch and enjoy and when you let yourself get into it you'll witness a whole new world well we will certainly find out tonight and I'm John Elm Street because we will be going through this film and just to give it the 
the Joe Bob Brig breakdown. Um, thanks to Edgar Cochran for providing the notes for this one. Uh, this is a film which is 237 minutes in length, and the movie title appears one hour into the film's runtime. It also features drag, totsatsu, kung fu, sex, genital torture, ultraviolence, lesbians, a Virgin Mary, erections, kung fu butt-kicking female teens, psychotic menopausal females, pornographic film and furniture, uh, Joshua 701 Go Go Satsuri, or, or female prisoner scorpion, um, homage, love, romance, exposure, lust, betrayal, child abuse, perversions, a dead bird, a living bird, panties, capitalism, religious ideology, Religious blasphemy, Jesus worship, Kurt Cobain worship, a car chase, implied paedophilia, a porn industry, Rivero's Bolero, a demented and disturbing climax, an emotionally pulse pounding and extremely moving ending, and Corinthians 8, 18, recited in possibly flawless and timed dramatic way by the sea in a single short while Beethoven 7th Symphony in A major, up, up 92 to Allegro plays in the background. In one word, Japan. <laughs> what is it with us and genital torture on this show? I did, yeah, do you know what? I'd forgotten about that. I, I, I was having Mobius flashbacks. but yeah. I was. I was sorry. <laughs> There's a scene where she pulls the old uh, Linda Bobbitt on yeah. her uh, stroke adult abuser, where she basically snaps his erection <laughs> and to like... Wow, we've really become the Asian cinema show where we just find all the films with genital torture. Yeah, enough, enough of your exploding helicopters. We just go for <laughs> cock removal. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I know, it's like you look at all those like Gedgelord uh, podcasts out there, it's all like, oh yeah, Serbian film or Slot of Vomits and Dolls. We're so edgy and we're like, nah, we see Mobius. The, um, <laughs> in, in a similar vein... Um, Eastern Kicks have been asking for reviewers for various things in our Facebook group, and I know Karida's come up, which which would basically give you the trilogy of, cock, <laughs> of, of male genital mutilation films. Uh, it's it's a tiny part of this film, though, isn't it? I mean, it's it's it is. <laughs> um, as I said, we're dealing with a film where, as I said, it's what about four minutes shy of being four hours long, mm. and this is a film which. For the first three hours, I want to say, it flies by. It's like Wolf of Wall Street. It just you don't think you're really in it because everything's so like action. It's just constantly thing after thing after thing that it's presenting you with. Um, and I think I don't know about yourself, but I think if we just go through this as to like break down the film as uh, rather than try to skip around it. I think that's the only way to do it. Otherwise, we're going to get utterly lost. I've got, I've got, I've got some thoughts about some aspect of it. I know you've got some opinions yeah. coming up, but I guess if we try and pre-see it <laughs> in our normal style in less than um, in less than four hours, we're doing well, right? Certainly. Um, well, the film follows you, Honda, who is basically a young teenager who, after the death of his mother, his father becomes a devout Catholic priest, and. He's constantly asked his son to confess his sins to him, but you believes himself to be this good person, so all the sins he has to confess are really sort of minor. But to make his father happy, he decides that 
he has to start committing real sins. So he teams up with these other boys um, who basically teach him to fight and to steal. And this evolves into them taking um, panty shots. Um, all to the horror of his father who basically ends up throwing him out. Um, at the same time, he gets brought into this panty photographing cult where members are taught the ancient martial art of taking panty shots. And... I mean, these guys just turn it into an absolute art form, to say the least. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's having a little bit of fun, isn't it, with with, with kung fu movies and, and the like. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's yeah. What, what's what's you called it? Tonkatsu? Is that right? I always confuse tonkatsu. I think is pork cutlets, but it's something like that. Yes. Um, but it's not. Um, yeah. So Shona has a thing about this. Uh, this is psycho esp espers thing which he did more recently is based around women's breasts in a similar sort of way obviously we've <laughs> talked about anti-porno he, he has a strange relationship with sort of japanese concept of pornography and perversion doesn't he and um i think he just has a good old laugh along with it <laughs> to be honest I, with you. yeah uh, um it, it, it's 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 there it's weird to us as westerners um it's weird to us as non-perverts. I mean, I'm speaking for myself, mate. I'm assuming this isn't your favourite perversion. <laughs> I love the fact that you just like decide to throw me under the bus with this. Well, I was not going to throw you under the bus. I just realised I need to take you with me just in case you're going to say, actually, Stephen, I really like panty shop photography. I think, oh, okay, <laughs> awkward. Um, but yeah, but I, I, it, it's done with a lot of fun and charm. No one seems to be out. And frankly, he's barely taking photos of them. It's all about his athletic skills with uh, with the camera isn't it <laughs> definitely so i mean this is done in such a satirical lens i mean they have the cry of listen all perverts were created equal and you see them there and they got like the free part staff and it's sort of like um use the staff take a peek and they have this remote control car which they drive under girls legs and stuff it's it's completely ludicrous this whole panty shot um, sort of racket they end up running and to the point where they become so lucrative and good at it that they're gambling using panty shots like poker cards in uh, <laughs> one scene. So they become like panty shot kingpins, him and his little buddies. But they're there like leaping around doing kung fu moves and basically uh, taking these upskirt shots but it's all done in such a satirical and, and stupid manner. It's it's not um, a sort of like a. It doesn't come off as like a offensive to our sort of Western sensibilities as like other times we've seen this sort of thing happen. And I completely agree with yourself. Unsleazy, yeah. It's interestingly unsleazy. I think where later on, obviously we won't jump too far ahead, but later on he sort of gets back into it for reasons, and he set up as like the i don't know the king of perversion or something like that but then a whole bunch of other people come up with their perversions and you think hang on <laughs> this isn't the same <laughs> you know the guy that says i've got a bomb should we set it off together um, so yes it, it, it's a satirical lens on something i think's fairly uniquely japanese um but it's not i just i just don't think it's there for titillation um it, it, it's it's there to you know it, it's an out there thing that you which i think was an interesting name i wonder if he's chosen that name on purpose because it sounds like you in western um 
where, where, where you is just going to these extremes to create sin because he couldn't even step on an ant could he i mean <laughs> no <laughs> he could he couldn't do that and he also doesn't get an erection this this has this these acts for him <laughs> that's about the only thing he doesn't give him an erection but these acts for him are not even sexual he gets no sexual pleasure from it it's about this hunt for trying to find a sin to basically connect with his father so we can go back to his father and confess and on the way hurt for his um mary mother of jesus maria as they call her in this yeah exactly i mean his father's so invested in his work as a priest he's giving these inspiring sort of sermons but he has no connection now with his son so the only way for the pair to connect is by him by you committing these sins and them going to confession and of course he completely blows up in his face but as you said already i mean he taking he's becoming this skilled panty shop photographer but he is never aroused by them in fact he's not aroused by any women at all because his mother has instilled in him this idea that he's got to find his maria and ultimately he does find his maria in probably the most ludicrous <laughs> setup possible where he fall, ends up falling for the daughter of his father's uh, girlfriend oh yeah all right let's just wind back a bit right so his father <laughs> out of his out of his so I I think they were Catholics before because obviously the mother used mother has yeah. got the has got the the Blessed Virgin statue that she basically mind wipes him with, um, but she she dies within the first few minutes of the film you know cancer or something like that has happened she, she's died suddenly. Yu's father has become and trained as a as a Catholic priest as a as a reaction to that. We talk about you talked about his lovely sermons and the way it's disconnected from his son, but he does fall in love with the first sexy lady that comes to his <laughs> comes to his uh, sermons. So some local lady he basically falls in love with, and the girl isn't her daughter. It's just a girl she's picked up somewhere, and she acts like her daughter, um, which is kind of important later on, I guess. Although, yeah, step siblings again. That's a whole other. Thing yeah. in there. But yeah, so this, her, her, yeah. Call it her adopted daughter, but I don't think there's much, many any legal papers related to it. <laughs> no, so it, yeah, with this uh, girl called Yoko, um, who was introduced with a constant desire to throw herself into fences for no apparent <laughs> reason, and yeah, she's like a she's like a con artist aide, isn't she? For this uh, for this woman and yeah. She's basically ends up being um, running afoul of this group of thugs. At the same time, Yu has lost a bet with his friends after one of their really random poker games, as I said, using panty shots as cards. And he is bet he has to dress up basically like female prisoner scorpion, and he has to kiss the first girl that he he likes. And it just so happens that he comes across Yoko, who is basically busy kicking ass. <laughs> Um, in this really great action scene, it was kind of like uh, the ending of Every Which Way But Loose, you know, the Clint Eastwood bare knuckle boxing movie with the with the ape. Yep, Clyde. Yep. Um, that's basically what this scene is, and he charges in there, dressed as um, his old two ego Sasori, or as he refers refers to himself, Miss Scorpion, mm-hmm. and he kisses uh, Yoko, and she ends up falling in love with him. 
Uh, at the same time, he's fallen in love with her because he sees her. He's finally found his Maria, this woman who gives him this momentous erection that just protrudes proudly because this film has no shame in showing that at all. He's, 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 quite, he's quite endowed. Um, yeah, and, 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 but it also turns out she's at his school. <laughs> so he kind of already knew her, which is a bit weird. Um, unless I missed something there. But And, and let's not forget she's a lesbian. She's not just in love with the idea of this this rescue woman, but she hates men. And she, she's, yes, apart from Kurt Cobain. Apart from Kurt Cobain, of course. So her whole life is basically dedicated to really like worshipping punk rock icons, people like Patti Smith um, and the, Joan Jett, the Runaways. Those are like her big heroes. And then she's obviously introduced to the Bible and falls in love with Jesus. And Kurt Cobain, obviously the Jesus-esque figure of grunge. And... <laughs> Good one. Yes, the Messiah <laughs> of grunge. <laughs> there we go. And uh, yeah, as you said, she hates men. So she, of course, when confronted with a bunch of thugs, pu- this is time to put all that training in because her only thing is that she likes to do is to read the Bible and practice beating up men. That's her only things in life. So while she's beating up these thugs, she uh, falls to this Miss Scorpion. So now you find himself in a situation where he's obsessed with this girl, but she's only in love with his alter ego, Miss Scorpion. Um, following us so far? Okay. Now let's throw into the we're, mix. We're about 45 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've just seen the opening credits now. Yeah. <laughs> So, throw into the mix, we've got Aya Kiyoki, who is the member of the Cult Zero Church, who has also become kind of obsessed with uh, you after she sort of stumbles um, across him. And yeah. in particular, he's outside the church because his father has thrown him out of the church because his son's a pervert. And he's decides he's going to hold this vigil outside the church, praying for forgiveness despite the pouring uh, rain. And it's here that he comes across um, Aya, who is running her own racket in the city. She's uh, running like spirituality scams. She's got this whole scheme running with the church, and uh, now she's decided that she's going to turn attention to really messing with you. This is going to be her new thing, but. Aya's got this history where she was sexually abused to the point of insanity and got her own back on an abuser by breaking his penis after he suffered a stroke. Um, not only that, she also cut it off. Wasn't it her dad? wonderfully graphic scene. Isn't it her dad? I, in my head, I can't remember. Mate, it was so long ago. Even if I'd watched the film. <laughs> but yes, she she hates men as well, but... She becomes, and, and yeah, she's in this this cult. And obviously, we saw um, Sono obviously has an interest in this because we saw the whole cult thing going on in um, Suicide Club, didn't we? Um, yes. But this 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 cult is just like Christianity with 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 fashion with with a fashion statement. Really, everyone just wears white, and all look like the midwitch cuckoos from Grant Morrison's X Men. I just that's I a just deep dive for you. Like, um... <laughs> I just thought that it was just like his take on Scientology. Yeah, although although there is a lot of Catholic stuff going on. Um, the 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 
so okay so i was i was watching or reading i can't remember something about this where they say this zero cult that that shono displays on screen obeys most of the things about cults you know the lack of individuality the way that they isolate individuals or families from their previous groups um menial work dehumanization taking away their clothes making them wear those outfits yeah it's mm. all part of it but the one thing that is missing that you would find in a normal cult is and scientology being an example of it there's no he's there's a leader mentioned but he's not really up there's no well run hubbard there's no um there's no there's no face there's no jim jones there's, do you know what i mean there, yeah this 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 is a very socialist cult um we do have um kiyoki and and her other two mates walking around in a three which i guess you could talk about you know god the father the son of the holy spirit i'm sure there's i'm sure there's layers of shit like that going on in there. but yes it's it's an interesting cult because it has cultish aspects doesn't I, I, i'm wondering if he was trying to avoid illusions because cults obviously are a bit of an issue in in japan like with the arm cult or what they did with the rice in down in the tokyo underground and you know that's only recently been resolved with people being put to death and, that, and there's been some other incidents um of cult membership because i'm going to go on for a tangent sorry but this whole thing about you and his family being Catholics is really weird <laughs> because Japan is effectively it, it has no real monotheistic religious you know there's no there's no Christianity there's no Islam that the, the, you know the Shinto is 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 a sort of religion but it's more based around animism and spirits and it's not really it's not really like a book to follow like um the quran or the torah or, or the bible it's it's just it's just it's just sort of it's a bit more low level than that so to see a film about catholicism and guilt and stuff like that was a bit weird because about 0.5% of japanese people are catholics i've done my, done my homework today mate this is why you called me the professor most <laughs> and of you them keep most of them live in brazil because you know there's that 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 diaspora of japanese people in brazil who followed the car manufacturing industry so they're they're they're, they're japanese but they live in brazil and obviously south america is is dripping with catholics and the rest of them are the filipinos who've come to work as housekeepers and stuff that there are very few sort of natural born japanese who are catholics so it's really interesting japan does like a lot of things they like, they like christmas and white weddings that they'll they'll pick up on bits of the iconography but the actual religion itself is is interesting and i, I was sitting there thinking oh is he trying to allude that Christ, that catholicism is like a cult because they're quite similar and then i thought oh this is a a rabbit hole i really don't want to go down because i'm just not I mean, as an as an as a, a, an atheist i find these things fascinating but it's sort of curious rather than something i really know enough to delve down but yeah just interesting just thought that he chose catholicism which just isn't a thing other 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 asian countries yeah it's a big thing like you know like i said like in the philippines even in you know the other countries where the missionaries took it the missionaries just didn't they came 
the Portuguese came and they tried, but they didn't ever take in Japan, interestingly. Anyway, sorry, I've distracted you completely. Let's go back to the... Uh, at, <laughs> where are we? So, yeah. So those two have uh, basically found each other and much like the classic, things are going to go off in many interesting directions over the course of this story. You think you got it worked out and then it just throws you another curveball. But thankfully, we don't have to go to Vietnam in this one. <laughs> and there's no cash jewelry. <laughs> Very good. So, obviously, with uh, with Aya being the nutbag that she is, she decides that she is going to lure the whole of you Yu's family into the Zero Church, and by doing so, she's decides that she's going to pose as Miss Scorpion to Sasori and say it was me all along and that you, I look completely different when I've got the wig and I've got the whole female prisoner Scorpion um, get up on Despite yeah, she, she'd, she'd, she'd observed you's she, she knows that you is Miss, Miss Scorpion and she'd observed his rescuing of um I can't remember the girl's name. Yoko. 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 Yeah. yeah. Um, so she, she 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 she's fully aware, and she's just fascinated by you. Um, but yeah, so the way the way the way to fix it is 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 to pretend that she's Miss Scorpion, <laughs> even though she looks nothing like her. But she at least seduced... bothers to say to her that would like cover for her lack of height by going, "Oh yes, I wear lifts in my shoes," which I thought was really oh. clever. We've forgotten something, a huge, a huge thing. Um, in, in, after, after, in between those two points, the the, the fight and and um, Kyoki um, getting herself involved, um, Yu's mother and Yoko's mum have decided to get married, and they they are now basically brother and sister. <laughs> <laughs> they, they haven't got married, but they've intent they intend to get married. Yeah, and there's a sort of a long running storyline where. The father keeps saying he's gonna he's gonna quit the church, but he can't. And then the mother leaves and comes back. And but yes, so basically, you has a crush on someone who's effectively his stepsister, mm. and his stepsister hates him because she thinks he's a dirty pervert, and she's not wrong, and she hates men in general. But it's all part of this revenge thing. Kaoki basically tells her to be nice to you and yeah it's all very very confusing <laughs> and I'm not entirely sure what Kyoko's plan was well you've also got to remember that the father is convinced into taking this this woman he'd uh, previously had a relationship back um, after they engage in a rather exhilarating car chase where she runs him off the road <laughs> um, so he crashes his car in the ocean, and apparently this is just the the spark they need to get back together. So, yeah. But, but yes, back back to your back to your story. <laughs> so, there's so there's, we are going to miss so many things out. <laughs> we're just going to provide you the overview here. So, I mean, as I said, I don't want to like go into every single little detail here. Um. But yeah, now they're obviously in the Zero Church, and he, you, is basically being forced to sort of play along. Um, 
At the same time, he can tr- he comes up with this scheme where he's going to break the brainwashing of the church and get Yuko to, you know, recognize who he is. So he forms this great plan where he's going to kidnap her and undo her brainwashing in a rusted out camper van by the beach, which leads to a rather dramatic moment where we have the uh, Cornelius Love Is speech, which is just set in like perfect time to uh, to Beethoven's uh, Seventh Symphony, which I have to say is no easy feat. Mm. The way that means, because I mean, that's this very epic sweeping piece of music um, that he's doing, and she's just like, the timing is just so spot on. Unfortunately, around this point, the film is basically in its kind of like in its last hour and just careers off the rails under the weight of its own insanity. And for myself, started to lose me slightly because that first three hours of this film was really interesting. I mean, the switching between characters, the way the story's building up. And then we get to the court and just you trying to convince Yoko of his, his love for her to undo the brainwashing that... Um, is is basically part of um it just it just became a little bit of a slog for that last 45 minutes no, or so. I, I i i agree so uh, even though there is you know there's a there's a big confrontation the the cult gets broken up okay commits suicide because she can't win you over yeah um, we get another big action um we get a really good action sequence actually with you in his Miss Scorpion garb, going through the church with a samurai sword, and taking out the church leader, which I think it was just it was a re- it was a good action beat, and it certainly needed it at that point. Mm. But then, I I, I mean, I, I, then there is yeah the last half hour seems or the last half hour of the version that we've seen anyway feels a little superfluous. I think we could have ended there. Yeah, we could have tied up a couple of things. But we then switched to, and I guess this is the bit that you found a bit naff, <laughs> um, that you is now in a mental hospital where he's allowed to dress up as Miss Scorpion all 24-7. He thinks he's Miss Scorpion 24-7. Yeah. Um, he's around people who are not mentally ill in the same way as him. So there's there's a whole thing around that, but we've been there before talking about summation society's approach to mental illness anyway he's he's there and he's allowed to jump in every so often with his plastic sword i guess i don't know what it is and scare the shit out of some poor people that are also in the hospital and it's all a bit sad he's he's had a he's had a nervous breakdown basically um but then along comes yoko to basically reverse what he did for her and realizes you know all twice that he'd gone out of his way to save her once as miss scorpion and once when he was rescuing her from the cult um and just shouts at him a lot and cries a bit and basically gets him to his senses and the idea is they're now a couple or something i'm not too sure <laughs> and the film ends but that bit just felt so slow and whiny <laughs> i don't know about you i i 
Um, I get it. It kind of makes sense that, you know, he spent all this time trying to save her and in the end she has to save him. Oh, it's mirror imaging a whole bunch of stuff which has happened in the film. But, but, you know, that's, that's nearly four hours in. And we've had a wild ride with lots of stuff going on. And I dread to think what the six hour cut was like. I so have I no to... idea at all. I mean, what? How you could have possibly expended this, like without like dragging, or or just having completely off shot subplots. So I want to personally thank the producers for. Normally we wouldn't do that, would we? Normally we'd berate the producer for destroying the director's vision. Not always, but it's, usually it varies. It's a very case by case built um, sort of like basis because when we look at what. The Harvey Weinstein cut of Cinema Paradiso is arguably better than the restored director's cut of that movie. So there's obviously cases where sometimes a director's too close to their own project to realise that, you know, things cuts have got to be made. And then there's other but this times is, this where is, but this isn't this isn't like Harvey Weinstein cutting a foreign film. This is this is the producers, the people who've actually paid him who've paid for every <laughs> every every millimetre of film that he's he's film stock he's used up. They've they've said no. <laughs> I just want to know like the first of all, I want to know the pitch for this for this film. How he pitched this, and then how the producers like <laughs> try to explain what they've invested in, and it's like, oh, it's this four-hour epic where we talk about love and romance and panty shots. <laughs> they just like mumble away the last part. <laughs> um, but this I mean, was yeah, we've been... voted like the ninth greatest film of the twentieth uh, century in the BBC poll back in nineteen 1990- in uh, two thousand and sixteen. I want to say. Um, I don't know. I for myself, it's it's an achievement, but I wouldn't say that this is Sono's like best work. I mean, it certainly has moments of of grandeur to it, and it certainly, as I said, that first three hours is fantastic. It's just the remaining fifty six that <laughs> that uh, yeah kind of falls apart. So I think apart. I think I think we've both had trouble with it watching it the second third whatever time round it is mm. and maybe it's because our lives are different maybe it's just been a difficult week or two for us i mean you know spoilers it's taken us two weeks to watch it <laughs> it's um which is strange because i i remember distinctly enjoying it and feeling it just breezed away i think there's some really excellent stuff going on in there um in terms of you know some themes that shono and and other japanese directors sort of glom on to things about outsiders things about you know there are characters in this film which are driven by hate and other characters which are driven by love um which hence it's why they're part of the hate trilogy i suppose um there's some beautifully seen moments i mean you've talked about about the, the on the beach with the with the music but the the the, the action sequences are excellent there are some beautifully dumb moments the stylistically it just changes like even in little subplot it'll go from really smart sweeping cinematic shot to steady cam <laughs> it's it, it, it it's kind of weirdly all over the place but he stitches it together really well and so if you have got the time get yourself a thermos of coffee and and spend four hours with it and i think it's 
really enjoyable. I think it's got loads of stuff going on. It also kind of works if you do split it up. The film is split into chapters, and you could almost treat it as a TV show, watching chapter by chapter. You've just got to understand, it's just nuts. <laughs> there are some things I think are going to be out of our ken. You know, some of the stuff around the perversion, I think just feels uniquely Japanese. Um, I'm not sure I really understood everything that was going on. Um, I think if you've got a knowledge of, of Japanese culture, it's good as well. I mean, I just, I just think it's a really good film, but maybe back when he made it, it was the best thing he'd done. I think he has made several films since then that are vastly superior. It's better than whatever that one was we watched on Netflix. Oh, uh, Forest of Love? Yeah, which I thought Forest of Love was just... Because uh, that's about three hours long, isn't it? It was a bit. Um, it was a long watch. I haven't watched the, the new cut they put on there. Um, when okay. he watched it when he originally went on on there when we reviewed it because we reviewed that and um, Violence Voyager at the same time um, yeah. that was a fun afternoon <laughs> yeah. so, For- so Forest of Love is, is long as well but Forest of Love feels like a, a cover band doing a Shion Sono film or, or Greatest Hits or something like that Yeah, Forest- and a lot of what Forest of Love is doing is, is, is copying what Love Exposure was structurally um because didn't someone but, point out that like Forest of Love was supposed to be like an analogy for like the Japanese film system? I yeah, potentially. I think it was. Oh, yeah, we did. I do remember back in the day we talked about that, didn't we? Um, but I'm trying to remember who um, who it was. I think it was Rashmi who pointed that one out to us. So from the Facebook, yeah, group. maybe. Um, but um, let us know, Rashmi. <laughs> we can't remember. We're too old. But. <laughs> It's certainly well, after this I'm movie. I'm no, no, no. I think you know if I know you've got a lot of love for um, why don't you just play in hell? Is that what it's called? Yeah, I mean, I've I've really liked uh, why don't you play in hell, and I think I've why certainly enjoyed these later movies of um, of Sonner where he's basically picked up the outlaw mantle from where Mike left off, because obviously with Mike it ended really around it sort of like uh, 13 Assassins was like the start of him becoming more mainstream as a director and moving away from those sort of ultra-violent themes that he that made him so prominent to us in the West and really sort of ushered in that J-horror boom. Um, and when Sono came, came along and he's like giving us films like Why Don't You Play in Hell and these films which are both very pretty to look at and at the same time have no qualms about like sex and violence and perversion um it felt very much like oh he's just sort of picked up the mantle and i think those films have always been like more interesting to me than like you know uh wandering star which i know you really like so yeah whispering star um i'm also a big fan of his um fukushima couple of films which are more straight up dramas which he basically made after this so after 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 this film, he made a couple of really mature films, and then he just went batshit crazy on us. And and I I don't like why don't why don't you play in hell, which is actually an old script he'd found in a drawer. I, I think it's okay. I just think he can do better. Um, I love Tokyo Tribe though. 
I think Tokyo Tribe is just genius, and I just don't understand why everybody else doesn't love it. Um, well, I like Tokyo. Tri- I don't like the opening of Tokyo Tribe, but the rest of it's um, yeah, great. I know, I, and I understand why you don't like the art because it's but... um, got Ricky. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, yeah, yeah Tokyo Tribe. It, I mean, it's a it's a Japanese musical, so uh, a rap musical. Yeah, hip hop musical, isn't it? Way before um, Hamilton Hamilton yeah. came along. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's got better. It's got sicker beats than Hamilton. I tell you that. If if a fifty year old man can say sicker beats, plus it's got um, <laughs> it's got Ricky Takeuchi in it as well, which is yeah. just like a reason to watch anything. Yeah, but you know, I but I think he's made some great films. And he's made some shit films, like, terrible, mm. terrible films in 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 the post Love Exposure period. But I just I just I just feel that people hold Love Exposure up in the same way that people might hold certain Mike films up. Um, like Itchy the Killer. Okay, yeah. yeah. It just so happens that that film was released on labels over here and it's kind of extreme and it's a bit weird and I know that people really love Itchy the Killer. But, you know, I think from the amount of films that you and I... It didn't appear on your list of 30 to watch, did it? Um, no, I mean, it was certainly one that was brought up um, towards the end, it was sort of like one that people were like, oh, why didn't we cover each other? Because the same way we didn't cover bad people in China. And mm. it basically at the time it just came down to what was available and just where the mood was. And we said, as I said, when we did got to the end of it, that if we had planned it out, then we would have definitely covered it because it is certainly a key title in the Miko filmography, even though it's not his best work, as you said. Yeah, it, it's it's not his best book, but it is one that's sort of kind of held up, and people are very fond of it. And and it's, I'm not saying it's a terrible film. Don't get me wrong, but I do feel Love Exposure is a bit like that as well. It's a, it's a it's somebody who has found their place, who's found their art, who's been given the money and the license to go and make these crazy films, um, with subject matter that many other people wouldn't touch. I mean, at the end of the day, a film about Catholicism in Japan is just nuts. I mean, I mean, I mean, I know there's the whole, um, oh God, what was that missionary film that Scorsese remade? Silence. Silence. Yeah, I know that is a Catholic film in Japan, but different, different thing. Um, and I think there's so much to love in Love Exposure. It is, it is nuts. It's perfectly watchable if you've just got the time. And you're able to split it up. I think, but I just think he's done so much better stuff. That was a very rambly five minute to say. Hmm. The Stephen who watched Love Exposure, I'm guessing, when did it come out? 2008, 2009, something like that. Um, I think, off the top of my head. I, I don't know why I'm saying that. I literally have the IMDb here. <laughs> Ready as I normally do. So, yeah, it was kind of released in 2008, but did the festivals 2009. And I think it got a, a release couple of years later on like i say third window i've definitely done the dvd here um so that's when i'd watch it about 2011 so 10 years ago i guess um and i had good memories of it watching it 10 years later i think i've matured and i think shono's matured as well but maybe that's that that's the thing yeah I just obviously just have a quick look at the BBC list here of um, 100 Greatest Films of the 21st Century. So this is all the films released since the year 2000. Um, Mulholland Drive in number one, followed by In the Mood for Love, which I believe is our mm. number two as well in our top 100. So <laughs> Yeah, well that is, yeah, 
that's a special film which um chef's kiss which we won't movie. Be, which we won't be leaving to the audience <laughs> to bring us um so where was it on that list this was on because on youtube you can see the um mark commode introduction to it when it was on film four this is another thing I watched. Yeah, he picked it out for the BFI player as well. It's available mm. on the Arrow player, which is probably, for myself, is the best place to view it. You can also get it on Terracotta Streaming as well, which is also really good. If you're watching the BFI player, it doesn't hold your place. So when oh. you want to, like, poke around a four-hour movie... Um, uh, it's a bit like Moo by then. Does that not hold your place either? Not on my not on my TV version, no. Okay. Um Don't... Didn't handle subtitles very well either. <laughs> no, it didn't actually make the. It didn't make the list, but Jasper Sharp uh, at the BFI listed it in the t- ten greatest Japanese films of the twenty first century. Freelance mm. film critic Kenji uh, Fujishima voted Love Exposure the ninth greatest film in the BBC's twenty sixteen poll, which was uh, obviously the one where uh, In the Mood for Love was uh, number two. Yeah, I mean Jasper Sharp certainly knows what he's talking about. So you know, I'd, I'd, I would, I would, I would trust him because you know, Midnight Eye is behind Midnight Eye, which is one of the best film websites ever, and it's sadly missed. Um, I know set websites. Everyone's going, "What's he talking about? <laughs> What's the Instagram page?" Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I just feel sad that I can't gush about it. I think you remember when we looked at uh, Mike's Dead or Alive. And mm. I, I said that you know when this movie came out, I was like so excited to see it. And then when we revisited it, like years and years later, highlighting the fact that it wasn't the same experience. It had those key scenes in it, which were a lot of fun, but it was a lot of tedium in between, which had somehow been lost. I think due to it being so new and fresh at the time. And I think when it comes to love exposure, there is the potential for it if you're not in the right mood for it or just as I said the not coming to it like as a fresh experience it can obviously have those moments of tedium especially right at the end um I think that the ending it sort of loses its way but certainly the the lead up those first uh three hours are just really solid filmmaking and then yet um when I've when we've obviously put this out to you you the group um like Matthew House has said it ends every minute of that runtime incredible movie so there's people out there who just absolutely love it so. I, and I do and I absolutely think I th- I don't think it's quite Marmite I don't think it's a love it or hate it no, but no. I think if you love it you really love it the, 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 there is one other criticism if you've got time is that, um, so the lead the lead uh, Takahiro Nishijima I I'm not convinced he carries the film very well either I mean, he certainly carries off the uh, Mr. Sori stuff, Miss Scorpion stuff. You know, he's very thin and got quite an androgynous look, hasn't he? But I, he, I, there are there are lots of young male Japanese actors, and he doesn't for me. He's not necessarily strong enough to bring me back to this. Whereas um, the girl that plays ah uh, the God, I can't remember her name now. Yeah. No, the other one. Oh, Yoko. The, the, Yoko. The girl plays Yoko. She's she's hugely entertaining. You're right. The girl that plays Koki um, is, is good. I think I think there's great performances all round. Um, I just it's just that you, the guy that plays you, I don't. He didn't didn't work for you. He didn't didn't work for me. Um. I, I, yeah, but but 
fair play to him, he was asked to do a lot of weird crap. <laughs> 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 he's he's game. I give him that, but I don't think he's. I just don't think he had the charisma of some some other people. I'm just going to have a look now of what else he's been in. Because um, Sakura Ando, though she would do going to do a bunch of movies with Takashi Miike, including For Love's Sake and Great Yogi Ooh. War Guardians. Uh, she was also in Shoplifters as well. Yeah, so she's she's done a lot. Okay, so um, the fella, um, interestingly, is in Himazu, which is um, one of the Sono films in the sort of Fukushima era films, um, and he, he's 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 in that as well. Which is a completely different set of films from um, from Shono. Now I've just found out how to say is it Shion Sono? That's it, Shion. Um, I'm just having a look at yeah. Anyway, this is this is but first the first of three that we've had to watch. <laughs> That's right. So make sure you hold on to your hats. Because we, uh, is there anything else you want to talk about this one? So I don't think so. I, 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 we're rambling around the same thing. I think we both thought it was pretty good, but maybe we're a little bit disappointed in in this latest watch. And you know, if if it had lost another hour, I don't think either of us have been that upset. So that's the first film. It was uh, Sion Sono's Hate Trilogy, Love Exposure. We're gonna take a quick break. When we turn the turn though, we'll be looking at a second film of our tonight's trilogy feature, where we look at Codefish. Hello everybody and welcome to the Cinema Recall Podcast here at ThatMomentIn.com. I am your host, The Vern, and on each episode, myself, along with a guest, we'll be talking about an iconic scene from a classic movie. Which films will we be discussing? Well, that's all up to you, because before each episode airs, we're going to be giving you a poll of great fits to choose from. Whichever one gets the most votes, that's the one we'll be talking about. So... Listen to the Cinema Recall Podcast on the site thatmomentin.com or on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or Podomatic, or SoundCloud. Thank you very much, and hope you enjoy it. Okay, so in the first part of our show tonight, we looked at Love Exposure, the first part of Sion Sono's Hate trilogy, which we were obviously covering on tonight's episode. This now brings us to the part two, Codefish, um, a story of a mild manage mild-mannered fishkeeper who gets caught up in the flamboyant world of his rival of sorts um, who owns the Hooters-esque fish shop um, Exotic Gold and he decides he's going to bring him in and you know they're going to form this amazing business relationship however what he soon finds out is that the business relationship is far from <laughs> far from uh, how can we put this legit um, as he enters into a much darker rabbit hole as uh, Sion Sono continues to pull out the most joyous sides of humanity um, with this film. So, yes, Stephen, a tale of fish and murder. Coldfish. Yeah, I, 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 this is this is one of those um, gaps. It was that guilty, um, <sighs> guilty secrets. I hadn't seen Coldfish before. Cinema shame, that's it. Thank you. Thank you for finding me the words, because there might be a few times you have to do this tonight. Um, yeah, so I hadn't, hadn't seen it before. Um, this and the, the next one we'll talk about are also sort of linked because they're sort of ripped from the headlines. So, so Sono has found these these sort of true crime stories and he's repurposed them. 
So this, this this is actually based on a true story. I know I think it says something about it at the beginning, but unlike Fargo, yeah. it really is. Although the couple the couple are dog breeders rather than um, a, a tropical fish sellers. But yeah, which adds adds an element of um, yeah, it was uh, <laughs> Sakin Gen and Hiroki Koizama. Um, with the couple, the couple that, as you said already, they owned a pet shop and they murdered four people. So, um, In- including a yakuza. So, I mean, it is it is terribly similar. Um, and yeah, it's another long one. But it was for me. It's well, I mean, after long. you watch four hours of um, love exposure, <laughs> I think a breezy two and a half hour watch doesn't seem as bad. <laughs> But it's quite a... There is humour in it. I don't know. I, I found it a bit of a joyless two and a half hours. But again, the general thing it reminded me of most, like we talked last time, that Forest of Love is like a greatest hits of Sion Sono. I can see where the Coldfish element of it is now. <laughs> Dismembering bodies. He, he certainly does. Has a thing for he that. also has a thing for casting his wife, who appears in this one, and she also appears in Guilty Romance, which we will be covering shortly in all the films um she seems to get be involved in gratuitous sex scenes and nudity but then again she is also a former glamour model so it's um i i didn't know so is that um so i'm just gonna bring up her name here because i'm gonna completely mispronounce it otherwise um so his wife is megumi uh kagar (laughs) zaki Okay, so the wife, the wife of um, our titular Nobuyuki, um, I don't know who is the goldfish. The, yeah. the wife, the wife of the main guy. Okay, I didn't know that. Um, yes, she's in a lot of his films. She's also um, in Thirteen Assassins as well. Um, she was in yep. Tokyo Vampire Hotel, Whispering Star, Why Don't You Play in Hell, Land of Hope. Yes, she was in Himizu as, well, as well. So, yeah. So, yeah, I had no idea. I don't know why I had in my head that he was gay, but okay, clearly not. Unless he's seriously overcompensating. <laughs> he's had <laughs> just one lady. hell of a beard. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiling it for the rest of us. No, I, I think it's because he, he did do some work in um, in gay porn early in his early days, but uh, I think Japanese modern directors, who didn't? Um, okay, yeah, okay. So, yeah, she plays the... She's not really a lead in this one, is she? She's a fairly a fairly secondary character, although has the best scene in the film, which is the opening for me, <laughs> which is when yes, she makes the most unappealing dinner ever. Yeah, she's um, she's not the best cook. Um, it has to be said. Um... <laughs> it it consists of convenience food. Slovenly, softly bought and chucked in the dirtiest microwave I've ever seen. But uh, yeah, her husband eats it, and and the and the girl, her, their daughter doesn't really care because she wants to go out and meet a boyfriend. So, but yes, it is it is wonderful that opening scene. It's well, this film was hilarious. also the third film in uh, Nakatsu's Sushi Typhoon um, series, which was a series of gore themed movies, and the first two being Alien vs Ninja and Mutant Girl Squad. Um, and Sono himself, when he said that when he was making this film, he wanted to depict a sense of total hopelessness, which he felt is lacking in Japanese films. Of course, you did. 
Yeah, I'm pretty certain there's plenty of Japanese films that are full of a sense of hopelessness. But, <coughs> yeah, um, I don't know, it's got a kind of happy ending. <laughs> Someone gets out of here alive. Someone learns a so, lesson. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is... I think this is the one of the uh, a more coherent plot, and certainly out of the three films, this has got the most coherent plot. And obviously, where you have this mild mannered fish keeper, he has his little store, and he's quite happy. He's got a, an attractive second wife, um, a bratty daughter who hates said wife, and he's basically doing his best to keep everybody happy. He doesn't like to cause ripples in the water, and enter into this um, by pure coincidence really because his daughter's caught shoplifting and he's when he goes to sort of pick her up um, this uh, he meets this guy called uh, Yukio who persuades the manager to drop the manager of the supermarket to drop all the charges and he offers um, the daughter a job working for his fish superstore should we say and as we said it is like Hooters the girls are there in tank tops and combat hot pants and I mean they're all they're all, they're all gorgeous and young and there's a uniform which it's not quite Hooters-esque but it's getting there isn't it <laughs> it's, it's, it's 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 clear because he's what did he say he's, he's gets bored easily <laughs> just Oh, I don't know. He um yeah he's completely opposite. He's his he plays this tacky wire music in his shop, which he insists relaxes all the fish. Um and yeah he's just very much he, he's this sort of like loud and flamboyant brash sort of character. And he's very very gregarious, yeah. isn't he? I mean he he's he he would be the life and soul of a party if he was the only person there. He just never stops fucking talking. He also drives, he has like, you know, the trophy wife. He drives a Ferrari, which means that there's probably more money in fish than we probably assume. Um, mm. And yeah, he's got all these great plans of how they're going to import these tropical fish and they're going to breed them. And it's going to, he basically wants, um, wants this guy in on like the ground floor. However, it's really just a front for his psychotic tendencies as uh, we learn we learn early on as he has a habit of dispatching his business partners and he's also developed with his wife a method of making bodies invisible by which means he just basically carves them up and flushes them down the sink (laughs) yeah kind of i mean he we get to see the uh the the ins and outs of body disposal in a truly bloody sort of sequence but yeah basically he just carves bodies up he turns the bones to dust and um, chops up all the the meat bits into chicken nugget sized chunks as he remarks before throwing them into the river to feed the fish so yeah I mean he's only in hock with the Yakuza as well his wife seems to simultaneously hate him but is utterly tied into these making people invisible schemes I found her the hardest character to understand because, you know, she starts off, remember, she gets in the back of our, our, our main couple's car and calls her husband's car, you know, like ostentatious and he's horrible and loud. And you think, oh, okay. Yeah. But then it turns out she's, in fact, she may even be leading the whole bloody process as far as I can make out. They're equally as repulsive, her and her husband. Uh, yeah. And I mean, it's not long after he obviously meets um 
meets Yukio that Yukio is having his way with his wife in um, a very bizarre sequence. In, in both senses. <laughs> yeah, he basically he doesn't really seduce her, does no, he? No, this of... is the thing. There is, there is <laughs> sex scenes in this, but they're not pleasant. It's just a lot of slapping and heavy-handedness, which is sort of like, I don't know what Sono's into, but um, yeah, certainly... Sex in Sono's world is very is is never fun, it seems. No, and and, and this isn't even the film about sex. No, um, <laughs> even worse though, it's his wife that he's casting in these roles, which is probably up there with Argento casting his own daughter in the Stendhal syndrome. Oh God, don't. the film where um, she plays um, a rape victim who goes goes looking for her attacker, and it's sort of like, how do you explain? these movies when you're pitching them to your wife I mean we give Rob Zombie flack for always casting his his wife Cherry Moon Zombie in his films and here's Sono's casting his own wife but obviously in less than flattering roles it has to be said yeah I mean that yeah the, 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 the sex scenes in this are hard to yeah. watch they're kind of power based I want to say rather than sexy i mean and 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 of course interestingly at the beginning of the film again the the lead character tries to tries to get it on with his wife whilst watching tv and she just pushes him away and says no 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 our daughter might be home any yes so clearly there's a kind of there's a kind of sexless thing going on there sort of married life woohoo well yeah but, it's brought up like later yeah. that he has to like go to a hotel to uh, like have sex with his wife and all he wants to do is he just like just wants to pursue his love of astronomy but he's sort of tied into this fish shop and this crappy home life that yeah, um, his his big date night is going to the planetarium. Yeah. <laughs> Love it, but yeah, though no, sex. I mean, we talk a lot on this show about some of the depictions of sex. <laughs> yes, we do. All the sex scenes in this one are a hard watch. This is definitely one not just for adults, but for people who can stomach sexual violence. I think that's fair. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm not thinking of the one. I, I, I'm, 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 my mind is fast forwarding to the end of the film, <coughs> where it, this is nothing. Well, <laughs> I mean, we can already chalk up on this one another one to the penis trauma scale. Um, yep. Why do we keep finding these movies? Or, 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 is, or is there a, is there a theme here in Asian society that we should? Explore? I have no idea what it is. But yeah. Between, because obviously in Love Exposure we had um, penis breaking and um, removal. In this, again, we have more penis removal. And we have it in our third film as well. So, yeah. We're just, we're oh. just, we're just at it to Mobius. And, uh, another, yeah. and there's another film that we are going to be watching at some point, a Hong Kong film called Dream Home, which um, also has that as well. <laughs> It's funny you mention like Dream Home because I felt when I was watching this, this is very similar to Dream Home um, in the idea that people are committing murders to further their own schemes. Yeah, I mean, in Dream Home, it's just like a satire on home ownership, isn't it? Um, here, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's just interesting. I did some reading sort of back on the original case and it just, just, just seemed that somebody had worked out, well, if I kill the odd person and they're not like true serial killer i mean i don't know what point you become a serial killer but they've only been they only got eventually charged with four murders and at least two of the people you thought oh, maybe they just left it <laughs> but 
in this case, there are there aren't a lot of murders, but it's all unsaid, isn't it? How often, how long this is being going? I mean, how long would it take you to perfect your craft of disposing of a body? What's that? What's that book? And they made a movie of it as well, Japanese one where the ladies that work in the factory dispose of their boss. Oh, you're talking about Out. Um, I am, yeah. No, was it? Which uh, had yes. a really awful movie. So again? Because, yeah, it was the women who work in the box. They work in the box launch factory. That's right. And then they, um, one of them murders her abusive husband. That's right. And brings right. in the other three to help her dispose of the body. And they end up being recruited by um, a Yakuza boss to, to, to create their own body disposal yeah. service. There's a whole... Um, the book. The book's really good, but there are whole chapters... The book chap- is very good, yes. There are whole chapters... Oh, d- devoted to how to dispose of a body. I, I think it's a pretty, <laughs> between that and penis removal. I think we're um, we've we've got themes here. Yeah, we're the real classy Asians in the podcast. Uh, if we were, if we were a blog, there'd be some tags. <laughs> yeah, it's, it just makes me laugh. It's the the uh, edge lord cast out there, and none of them have, have touched half the films that we have. So. Mm. Come on, step up then, guys. <laughs> we got such delights to show you. But yeah, with this this one, I mean, obviously with the with our psychotic pair here, I mean, he says that he's been, didn't he like claim at one point it's like 400 odd bodies he's made invisible or something? Yeah, there is, there is something like that. But the guy talks so fucking much. And everything he says is so exaggerated and... Not really up for debate, except when there's a couple of other stronger personalities in them. But on the whole, he's so don't. I just don't believe a word he says. <laughs> but maybe, maybe he has. But I tell you what, that's a, that's a, that's over a year of every night disposing of a body. I don't, I don't think that's that must be an exaggeration. But they have the the they have a whole setup going. They've got like a shack out in the in the sticks, miles away. Um, yeah, it takes some hours to get there, doesn't it? Which um, was obviously obviously using for things. I mean, obviously Yukio is played by Denden, who's um, got something like a hundred plus roles to his his name, which is no easy feat. And uh, also, this film features uh, Tetsu Wanatsubi, who reminded me so much of um, you play Yakuza, so you you know this reference. You know the big um, gorilla guy that you face off in the first one. He's one of the Yakuza bosses. Oh yeah, yeah. I was like, oh. That's who can play him in the movie, then. Yeah. Oh, he's one. I think he might be in the second movie. He's in one. I think he's one of those characters in the game where you end up having to fight about five times at the end. He never seems to die. <laughs> I can't remember which one he's in, but yes, absolutely. Get the reference. Um, but but yeah, I really loved uh, Ted to want to be in here, mainly because he's got that. Oh, he's got the George the Animal Steel sort of look to him. He's this big hulking bugger. Um. And he, he's kind of like uh, Barry the Baptist as well in Lockstock, <laughs> who um, who was played by a, a former bare-knuckle boxing champion. I can't remember his, the name of uh, the guy. He was called the Governor. I know that was his nickname. But, um, yeah, he plays one of the business associates here. And, he's I mean, again, he's been in hundreds of things. I mean, he was in Solitaire, he was in Ran, he was in Hannah B. He was... Um, in the cat returns as well, doing voice work there. So he's in, he's, and he's in Sono's latest movie, um, 
uh, what's it called? Red Post Ghostland. No, Red Post. Oh Nessus right, that one. Yeah. Or was that the previous latest movie? I can never remember. They're about the same the same time, but yeah, Red Post and Leicester Street. Um. So yeah, and he's still going. So, but yeah, he was certainly a, a real highlight, and again, he plays one of the the business associates who's also having a thing with uh, Yukio's wife. Um, yeah, <laughs> which I couldn't tell was that like part of his plan because he apparently doesn't seem to care too much about people sleeping with his wife. And well, no, the they have time... a whilst whilst chopping up a body, they have a discussion about it. <laughs> oh, you're fucking him, are you? Oh, well, it's like, what? <laughs> Bizarre. And he also has this um this goofy driver as well, who sort of like chauffeurs him around. Hmm. But his name I can't remember. I can't now, remember, but, but, just... his, but his wife wants him to watch her having sex with one of Tabby, well, Tabany, whatever. I can't remember saying that. Yes. But yes, uh, it's just weird. Weird, weird, weird. <laughs> it is weird, and yet it's strangely watchable. There's something about the, you know, the, innocent, the so called innocent guy being drawn into the world of darkness only to ultimately snap and find that he's actually very adapted at this world um and if it the the main sort of me of the story is just seeing like how far they can push this guy because he's constantly being like forced to like help them shift bodies and be like involved in the whole dismemberment process and they keep they basically keep torturing him i mean he you keeps saying you know if you report anything i'm going to come for your wife and your daughter and he's got this sort of hold on him there's a really great scene as well where they're like training him to give like a false statement because they know that uh the brother of one of these guys that he's off is going to come looking for him so it's sort of like this is the story and they have him going over and over again it's like and they like focus on all the little details and it's sort of like how was the money banded together and what did he do with the money and those little scenes which really made the film sort of rise above just being oh this is just another like splatter fest because at times it does feel that there are moments where it's sort of like, oh, look how gory and disgusting this is. This is like um, human guinea pig territory all over again. But thankfully it's got some actual filmmaking behind it. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It's actually quite a good looking film. <laughs> it's And it's... I just really, really struggle with it because I found Enden's character so just talking all the bloody time and i know that's the point the point is is that he's a bit like a you know he's a he's a, he's a bloody used car salesman at heart isn't he and he's just talking talking and talking getting people to do things that they wouldn't normally do um and 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 you know just overwhelming people into signing on the dotted line for all kinds of chicanery and i just i did really feel the length as well i know we've just been through four hours of love exposure and i think you know as, as we said in the first half we think we both struggled with the length on on a on a repeated watch um this for me i i found it hard going um but there was always just a little bit of something to keep me going at every i think it's, is this also done into chapters can't remember or is it just just love exposure and guilt and romance isn't... no no this one just wasn't broken into chapters yeah no this one just has um time, time that's and date right stamps. so time and date although 
And though they're trying to convince us, that it's sort of like, oh, and this time it ha- this happened, and this day this happened, and it's like, and then as you point out, it's a completely different case. It's just yeah. inspired by. So all those dates and stuff are completely <laughs> indeed, and they, I'm not even sure I could even follow a timeline of it. I mean, I don't, I didn't, didn't feel like there were flashbacks or anything. There was one flashback where the daughter is beating up her stepmom, which sort of came from nowhere and went to nowhere <laughs> what was that what was that about it was yeah it was mainly because i think the reason it was included is just because they needed to, he needed to show the the relationship that you know the daughter has with the stepmother and it was like oh we've already come too far into the film to actually show this because we've opened with her culinary mm. class and then we're straight into the daughter being caught for shoplifting. So there was no real way to go back or have that sort of scene in. Because in, as soon as she's caught for shoplifting, she's essentially moved into the dormitories of um, Exotic oh, Amazon Gold. Gold, as it was called on my subtitles. Yeah. No, Amazon no, Gold, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I presume they have to change it. <laughs> I think you put it right. Um, but yeah, it's like not only does he have his... Um, his hooter fish girls, but uh, they all live in a dormitory as well, and they have weird conversations about you know alligators and feeding live fish to piranhas. Yeah, and, and also one of the girls is having some kind of sexual action with the wife. I forgot about that. Oh yeah, that's the um, the one where you've got the the where he, he's trying to convince um, the brother of the guy he's offed mm. of what happened. And all while you've got the sexual puppet feature <laughs> going on between the wife and one of these girls, mm. haven't you? Which was that his daughter, or was that a different girl? Oh, I don't know. But she seemed nice because she came out earlier and said, "Don't worry, I'll look after your daughter for you." <laughs> and then she, I don't know. There's just so much randomness going on, but it is also pretty. You know, it's pretty dark. I mean, there's a, there is a little comic flow to it, but you know, people are having discussions knee deep in human awful. Um, and <laughs> oh yeah, when he um, holds up the kidneys, like look, human form. Yeah, the liver. <laughs> wanna, yeah, it's fucking huge. I don't want to see. I, I I don't know. I just I didn't quite get this one, and maybe it needed more wackiness. Maybe it needed needed yeah. something else and maybe because it was narratively quite straightforward you know you get this guy and he he, he does these things but sometimes you know it's, sometimes he's not the alpha male and like those yakuza's come and basically threaten him and he's very um submissive in that world but yes it's, i guess it's and then and then at the end then we get to the end and then suddenly our cold fish. I'm going to, I don't know why I'm going to call him cold fish. I don't know why the film's called cold fish, but you know, our lead character who's been very meek and mild and has been, you know, he's been bullied along and then suddenly he's a conspirator in all this. There's nothing, you can't get out of it. And then suddenly he turns into a fucking nut job and starts, and starts <laughs> doing, you know, just, becomes even maybe worse than the man that's inspired him and then yeah i, I, I don't want to spoil the ending i mean it's, yeah I, I i struggled with it i kind of enjoyed it though does that make sense i enjoyed it but it's it's not 
there's many films yeah. that you can question why you're enjoying them. So when you watch something like, you know, Ishii the Killer or Tokyo Gore Police, um, you know, one of the, I think anything under the Sushi Typhoon label, mm. I think you can question it. I think someone posted um, Hell Driver the other day and the clip of the woman using the fetus attached by the umbilical cord like a meteor um, mm. bowl. You know, like Goku's weapon and Kill Bill. Um, and I was like, it's hard to understand why these things are as enjoyable as they are, but they strangely are. It's, and yeah, I mean, we can go back for our own filmography, like, probably not to the same sort of extreme, but like, why do we find such enjoyment in, like, The Battle Wizard, for example, or Sister Street Fighter? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I get that. And I think that's what's missing in this is. Whilst the characters are kind of heightened, and any time you have a, a Yakuza, in it, they have that strange way of talking, don't they? <laughs> Not like Yoda, like that came out, but you know what I mean. Like, so how Sonny Chiba says, uh, Origato, it's like, Origato, and it's sort of like, it's always like this deep, but also raising up high. Um, when they're trying to, like, yeah, when they're trying to interrogate people, they go in with this really deep voice because deep is tough, but then, uh, they're like, they can't really hold it, so they go quite high as they get louder because they can't project mm. the deepness. So the, the voice it sort of goes up in pitch, but yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, um, and I, I don't know, I just, but, but there wasn't too, I mean, we described the story and it sounds a bit nutty, but it's really quite dark and straight. And the, the, the you know the way you just describe some of the nutty things we've seen, well, they're nutty, and they and there's, then you get a disconnect between the horror of what's going on and just the ridiculousness ridiculousness of it. I didn't get any ridiculousness out of this. This felt, I mean, it's no, I saw the devil, right? But it it just feels like this is so no serial killer movie. It's his one of his true crime movies. It's really well put together. It's really, really well acted. But I just didn't connect with it. And and now I'm wondering, did I not connect with it because there wasn't enough wacky shit going on? Or did I not connect with it because it just doesn't... You know, like the second half of Sympathy for Lady Vengeance just gets as dark as it can. You know, it really gets into the soul of the human... the, the worst the human condition can offer. I only felt there was these two nut jobs <laughs> in this one, <laughs> and, and 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 then and then I found his his turn to the dark side a bit sudden. Um, I don't know, struggled with it. It's like I really really like this. It's a real solid seven out of ten, and I will watch it again. But I'm not. I wasn't enthused. I think by that it. the sexual Weird. violence um, aspect of it it makes it a tough watch. Um, and that's what stops mm. me from liking it more. Certainly, I like the idea of like, why do we take this this guy and just keep pushing him? It's kind of like Michael Douglas in Falling Down. You know, this this guy's just so buttoned down, like one day just like completely snaps. And I think this is what Sonny was going for at the end here, where he's basically pushes this guy to his breaking point, and then he starts like stabbing people with a ballpoint pen. Although I have to say, yeah. I didn't know you could get stabbed in the. Uh, in the throat and still managed to like disembo- disembody half a body um, and then by the end it just becomes I don't know like gore porn um, as you have people just like covered in blood making out and stabbing each other and stuff so yeah uh, yeah I, I 
I don't know. Maybe, maybe I want to say there's a lack of subtlety, but I think it's the other way around, actually, mate. I think it's a lack of levity which stops it. I don't know. It's weird, weird. But I'm glad. I'm glad I've seen it. It's filled. It's filled that Sono hole. Um, it's one I've always wondered about. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I've never watched it before. But yeah, it's 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 good. Um, but I just I just not sure. You know, Love Exposure for all its flaws. There's a ton of stuff to talk about. You know, it's got multiple targets about religion and family and panty shots and incest <laughs> and all sorts of things um whereas I, I think this one is god look how fucking horrible people definitely can be. so i think and it's interesting when you like compare it to this like the vengeance trilogy when we look at the bookends of that that trilogy uh simply mr vengeance and lady vengeance they're the ones which have the most to say where when we look at old boy obviously the most popular of the uh, trilogy it's got the least to say but it's a very sort of straightforward sort of almost like an action romp well old, old, old boy is an action film with a central mystery that has a disgusting resolution but it's all yeah. about plot and action yeah i don't think you sit there and say let's let's have a talk about what old boy is trying to tell us about society i don't think it has anything to say other than it's a story about revenge pretty much it and 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 or multiple revenges um whereas uh, sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and Sympathy for Lady Vengeance have there's a, there's a lot more going on. Mm. There's a lot more subtlety about it. Anyway, I guess that's for another special that we're <laughs> going to talk about them. But if yeah, if we're going if we're going to talk, I, I mean, in some ways maybe Coldfish is the it old boy like of this trilogy to say out of the out of the two because obviously as you said mm. we love exposure. I mean it's love, cults, incest, religion. There's there's all sorts of topics being hitter in that one and then when we get on to guilty romance it's mm. got, certainly got themes that it wants to explore which we'll obviously get on to in a moment i don't want to sort of skip ahead too much no that's, but yeah. um yeah i think as i said i mean this one i saw way back on when i think shortly after it came out because this came through on the mubai um rolling 30 which always a strange place to see a movie like this it's sort of like you think well mubai the classy people yeah it's um <laughs> yeah, um, they do. They have the odd, odd one like this, but um, I sometimes wonder if they know what they're showing. <laughs> Every day I get my email from them, and it's like, really, you're showing that? <laughs> Mumbai have a very interesting way of making you not want to watch anything that they show, and the their fan base who fill their comment section only sort of reinforce that opinion of a lot of their films. Uh, I um I tried to cancel my Mumbai subscription. Because I think I wasn't getting value for money out of it, yeah. and and um, in in reverse, the the app, the cancel subscription app, basically got it down to half price. So I'm going to have it for another year for half price. Wow. <laughs> um, which is not, it's you know, five five ninety nine something like that for for a year, uh, five ninety nine a month for a year. I mean, there's some good stuff on there, and especially for guys like us, you know, a bit of Asian cinema. What I quite like is that they have like three films by by certain directors so you get a taste for it as well as the random shit which just comes up every day and you just get <laughs> this going anyway that's a different that's a different thing yeah the coldfish coldfish is good right uh, you know we, it's in the upper echelon you you i seem to remember you put it in our top 50 films absolutely get why um 
we could do a whole I'm glad serial... you do because I can't remember why now but well, I think you know, this it... is the thing with the 50 it's always going to be it's very mood dependent whenever you make any sort of list of course and... of course it is and one day maybe we'll we'll shake things around but you know it's a really good film and it's got really fantastic acting in it um it's just as 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 uh, you know if we're going to have the Asian serial killer movie I don't think we'd pick this one I I I know I'd pick I saw the devil which I think is a much better exploration of what makes a serial killer and also what can break a man yeah um I think certainly that it, that interest of like where someone is pushed to the breaking point is like what happens mm. next is always going to be interesting to look at certainly if you wanted to look at something like um see what comes later i mean you can always watch um interview with cannibal from 2012 um which is the interview that they did with um isi sagawa the japanese cannibal go on <laughs> um, who for a short time managed to convince the uh, jury that he was insane in France when he actually wasn't. But yeah, it's um, he was um, he he was a uh, a student who um, killed a, a classmate and ate their body, ate her body. And there's a documentary which is um, a 33 minute interview with him where he talks about it. So okay, <laughs> lovely. So, uh, it's like, yeah, your your house is like Mindhunter, but real. <laughs> it's, it's not as it's not as exciting as it sounds. Probably back in the day, it used to be. I remember, I remember back in the days of VHS. I once picked up an interview with um, Charles Manson, so I can't really talk. Really, like a thirty-three minute. Huh? I often wonder though about about the about the celebrity of the serial killer and it's sort of like how much is it down to the gimmick because do you think we would really care, um, care about Gacy if he hadn't been the clown yeah I think it's, I think there's a bit of that I think there's also there was in the 90s I want to say a glamour a glamorification based around Hannibal Lecter books frankly where we they all became almost rock starry <laughs> do you know what i mean whereas whereas things like um it's um texas chainsaw massacre is based on gacy isn't it no and that's, that's um texas chainsaw massacre and psycho based on Ed Dean, um yeah. who, who was a um he was a grave robber um and he um as i said he used to make furniture and other people's uh, skin and body yeah, organs, and also but... that in- that also inspired um silence of the lambs like you say yeah um yeah, I, I, yeah um but do, do you know what i mean there was this whole serial as a call let's make lots of films and let's have seven and let's have silence of the lambs and let's have that and then everyone got kind of interested in them and 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 it still existed today. You know, I think it's, still... it's certainly had a revival of interest in it now. I mean, they I think... brought Dexter back for fuck's sake. You know, it's, <laughs> oh, <yeah>. it's... <laughs> what a comparison the the glamour of true crime and the fact Dexter's back. <laughs> well, you know that he's a serial killer, and he oh, that he catches is. serial and catches serial just random. Anyway, um, where was it going? With? So this film came out in 2010, um, 2010, 2011, something like that. Um, and maybe was riding, I don't know, that, oh no, that's a bit after the 90s, I understand that, but I think there was, 
obviously this is based on a true story, but we've had a couple, haven't we, of Japanese serial killers. But uh, yeah, and and then like in the last film, Guilty of Romance, I guess was was not Guilty of Romance, Love Exposure, I guess was also riffing on the Alm Alm cult, however you pronounce it, that did all the uh, uh, the the Tokyo Tube. Oh, the same uh, gas attacks. The gas attacks, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I guess, I guess there's a fascination. Most, and and this will be something we'll talk about in the next film. I, th- I think Japanese people are, on the whole, kind of reserved. They are like our lead character here. Yeah, they're kind of reserved. They don't like trouble. They they like things to be quite organised and 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 maybe that life is fairly unhappy. Then when somebody exciting comes along <laughs> whether it be a yakuza or a serial killer or whatever i guess that is that is interesting to them well i don't know do you ever wonder if sono is playing to japan or he's playing to a, a western audience it's very hard to say really because i mean obviously he's been embraced by the west a bit they mm. where sono so in many ways, I think he, when he sort of like got that second wind in his career, because obviously when Suicide um, Club came out, it was caught up in the J-Horror boom and it sort of went quiet on the front. And then we had like Tokyo Tribe and Why Don't You Play in Hell um, movies that sort of really sort of like really pushed him um, out well, there. He did, he did six films in a year. He went full Mikkei, didn't he? That was the thing. I think he felt where Mikkei was sort of like toning down his style, becoming more mainstream, Sonna was sort of like picking up that mantle. And I think that's where he's sort, he sort of been riffing, riffing on that. And I think the, the void left by Mikkei moving away from the outlaw period, I think was just sort of perfect uh, for him to sort of slot in and just run yeah. with his randomness. And I think certainly with being part of like uh, Nakatsu's um, sushi typhoon was just basically um, again another platform just to go and do something really bizarre and random. But there are so many of these movies that are so bizarre and random. It is hard to say: is he making films to appeal to the West? Is he just sort of appealing to that sort of like shock culture sort of subcategory of movies that we see coming out of Japan and things like? As I said, like um, like Tetsuo the Iron Man and Tokyo Girl Police, those sorts of movies like Meatball Machine. Mm. Um, but these, I mean, these are really... I mean, he's a really excellent filmmaker. Stroke poet, as everything always says, poet and filmmaker. <laughs> um, you know, this, this, there's some marvellous things done with with you know with the vision with the cinematography and i guess you know he obviously surrounds himself with talented people but yes i just wonder if many japanese people are really going out to watch cold fish or whether it's aimed at berlin film festival and hopefully getting a a, a blu-ray release out there i don't know i i'm being um he certainly has a fascination with the darker side of humanity. It has to be said in in all in a lot of its films. And at the same time, as you pointed out many times, he does things such as like Land of Hope and Glory and The Wandering Whispering Star. Is it? Whisper, yeah. I mean, The Whispering Star, yeah, is is an ecological fable. I mean, you, you're going to have to watch it. It's unlike anything you've seen, <laughs> other than his wife's in it. Um, yeah, I mean, and he did Himazu, and he did. Um, uh, yeah, uh, land, land of hope, like you say, and so he's got this. He doesn't. Not everything he does is wacky, but that's true of of um, Mike as well. You know. Yeah, certainly Mike had those uh, 
there's more thoughtful moments when you look at things like Bear People in China, for example. Mm. Um, and and a bunch of films that just have never come out over here. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, Cold Fish. That was a thing. <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. When we return, though, we'll be wrapping up tonight's Hey Trilogy when we look at the final film of the, the trilogy, Guilty of Romance. On the Simplistic Reviews podcast, we talk movies. We talk TV. We talk... Hello, Julie, what the heck are you doing? Trying to make our spots sound more exciting by adding explosions. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you could have got the point across with sound effects, not the real thing. Download the show on iTunes or at simplisticreviews.blogspot.com. I'm sure your insurance company will cover that. No, they won't. No, they probably won't. Okay, we're on to our final part of tonight's Hate Trilogy as we look at Guilty Romance from 2011. Um, This one is a dual-plotted story in which a detective is probing the brutal murder of a woman in the red light district. Um, The bodies that uh, they find being combined with doll parts in a rather grisly scene. At the same time, a housewife is hiding a double life from her her husband, who's a successful author, as she progresses from meek housewife into street-walking prostitute. Welcome once again to the happy world of Sion Sono. Yeah, so I'd seen this one before, had you? No, this was my first time watch of this uh, this trilogy. Um, obviously, once again, starring Sono's wife, who uh, plays the lead role here um, as uh, Kazuko. And as I said, uh, she's just a you know mild mannered uh, housewife. She keeps a nice house, and everything's perfect for a successful or for her husband. And we see right from the start. I mean, the slippers have to be positioned the right way. The house is kept absolutely spotless, and she's as I said, she's slowly being smothered by this life of perfection that she's supposedly leading. And she decides that she's going to get a job in a supermarket where she's uh, selling sausages and from here she's recruited by a modeling agency which turns out to be a porn audition uh, leading her into a much darker route as she awakens a long sedate sexuality in her let's discuss this one Stephen yeah so this is the one so I guess love exposure is about a lot of things Um, cold fish is about some dark stuff (laughs) murdering and shit um this one's about women's place in japan but um not not a good place (laughs) is what i would say i mean it's uh sorry i'm eating a gummy bear how rude of me um it is (laughs) your weak gummies on the show it's um yeah it's it's sort of constructed like a film noir there's sort of two storylines going on here um, his wife this time is is absolutely front and center. I mean, in every way, shape, or form, he puts her through everything. She must really love the guy because he puts her through everything in this one. Um, but it does take a long, hard look at the place of women in Japanese society, whether it's as the perfect housewife. And there's this lovely bit, isn't there, where her two friends come around and say, oh, you're so lucky to live in this house and be married to this famous man. But really, her, she has no life. She just lives 
to make his cup of tea at the right temperature and get his, get his slippers on and at the right time. And buy and the right soap for him. Buy the right soap for him. Because he has a little temper tantrum because he dares to put the wrong soap out for him. I know I don't get on with Japanese soap. Um, and, and just sits there and watching him read books. Now, we'll find out later that there's more going on here. But yes, this, this kind of dutiful Japanese housewife thing, the lifestyle that the friends are jealous of, utterly, utterly mind numbingly dull and then there is this sexualization of women whether it's in as a guave model as prostitutes um the 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 violence and the pornography as well you know this this is um it's you know we, we talked about i didn't think cold fish had a lot to say this one has got a ton to say however I do feel a bit like I feel about tag and anti-porno. Is that sometimes he misses the fucking point he's trying to make <laughs> and becomes as much as part of the problem <coughs> as the cure. But this is a this is a this is an ongoing problem I have with Shion Zone. But yeah, whilst this woman has this um sorry this 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 descent which ends up with her pissing in the street that's <laughs> in front of young kids um there is a a murder to be solved and we have a a lead detective is a woman now what version of the film did you see how long was your film uh it was i believe it was it was a long one so it was about 144 minutes which okay so i think that's the international cut which i think has a lot more of the police woman story in it but she's not just a policewoman this isn't just csi fucking tokyo oh no she's also having some kind of sadomasochistic relationship with some bloke who at the click of his fingers has her doing stuff even though she's not only a she's a working mother a working wife um yeah which i don't think much of that is in the international cup I could be wrong, but I have—I don't remember seeing the shorter cut. But yes, yeah. So there's two stories, and they're all telling. Well, the, there's actually a sort of a third story as well, I suppose. But they're all about what a shit time women have. <laughs> I don't know. Did you? Did you feel differently about it? Did you see it as a positive, a positive fable? Well, I mean, it's obviously we got this this story here about uh, the embrace, women embracing their their own sexuality. I mean, we've certainly seen this before in Shinichi Sakamoto's The Snake of June, which mm. I tried to bring to the show once, but people had other ideas than what they wanted to watch. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> eventually, I think we'll come back. We'll, we'll come back to it at some point, just because it's a very visually interesting movie. Um, and now we're sort of getting into our flow. We get a little more confidence in the sort of movies we can cover, and not like worry about upsetting people because the thing when you look at well, the films, one the one we thought would upset people is our most popular episode so what can you do <laughs> it's um it's so downhill really once you've done mobius really isn't it <laughs> but um no i mean as i said the i've seen numerous people mention this in their own reviews about this this fable of like where women in japan they're so sexually repressed that they go into prostitution as a way to reclaim their uh their sexuality and certainly with this one i mean it's 
painting a very interesting image of um, Tokyo, in particular Shibuya, um, as we get to focus on love hotels and prostitution. And in particular, as I said, this story of um of azumi who as we said is this this housewife and she first of all she like gets picked up and goes into the modeling uh shoot and of course it turns out to be porn but it's like it's given her a taste of a, a life that she's been missing out on so she's gets involved with one of her um with one of her actors she has a fling with a guy who comes into the store she really starts just embracing her sexuality and just like at one point is like going out and just like picking up men randomly on the street including this weird joker-esque character who is a real fetish for paint balloons who yeah um, the guy with the bowler hat the long white trench coat unfeasibly tall for a japanese man and and yeah and has this fetish for balloons small balloons filled with paint i assume they're balloons and not condoms but yeah weird um that's when that's when things get weird, because <laughs> because up to then we've had these these sort of two stories. One one there's like a Japanese version of Seven almost, isn't it? With horribly dismembered parts and the rain falling, and and that's based on a true story, I believe. So again, he's sort of doing a bit of a rip from the headlines, um, and the sort of district of Shibuya where all the love hotels are, um, which sounds like it's just people want to just go and have sex because their houses are too small or they're having affairs or whatever but you you do it by the hour I mean lots of other things about love hotels is one of those weird Japanese things that repressed society allows that to happen whilst we have this this story which at some points is almost you know uplifting she's she's left this repressed relationship and she's discovered her sexuality and there's this marvellous scene isn't there where um she plays out the things she's got to say while selling sausages <laughs> but she's doing it in the nude in front of a mirror and there's this it's, it's a bar i mean she, she's not hard on the eye let's 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 be a, let's be honest about you it no i mean yeah it, i mean she, it, it, she already, this, she's a former glamour model so yeah but it's very obvious why she had that profession before because <laughs> she's a very attractive woman she, she is, but the the scene is brilliant <clears throat> because it's also you know it's not only showing her awakening, but it's also showing really what she's being asked to do at the supermarket as well. Isn't too far bloody different, is it? You know, she got the job because she's got a pretty face, and they want people to buy sausages off her, which of course is the let's not even go to the uh, the potential metaphors on display. There. <laughs> also, guys don't. I don't know about you, mate, but guys in Japan, or certainly within this film, don't mind going up to someone asking them to have sex. They don't, do it, they? It's, it's, I don't know. I don't know I just, I'd, I'd never have the balls to say that to anybody. <laughs> oh, hello. Do you want to have sex? <laughs> oh, whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, she sort of gets... She has her own sort of grasp on how she's sort of handling her... Embracement of sexuality. We have the scene where she, like, her husband goes off to his private office where he's apparently writing this great follow up novel to his book that we see him reading passages of throughout the film. And um, she, like, pulls out all her sexy underwear and is, like, throwing it up in the air because she's, like, so. This secret uh, side of her that uh, she's just given us such power. And it's 
through the these sort of antics that uh, she meets up with uh, Mitsuku, I want to say. Yep. Um, who is a she's a professor of liter of uh, literacy, and by day, and also a prostitute by night. And she basically takes Izumi under her wing and says, you know, don't uh, don't have sex with men for free. Make them pay. And so it takes takes her down this sort of darker route with her her rather naive sort of, naive sort of like um, prostitution that she's been doing because before she's sort of like really been working for herself. She's been very self empowered, and when she meets, uh, yeah, she, she she almost she she has a name your own price approach to prostitution as well, doesn't she? She does, <laughs> and. Um, as I said, Azumi's sort of like brought in by this idea, this woman, I mean, she's 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 smart, she's a professor, and at the same time she's embraced her sexuality, so she's like, must be like the mental figure that she's been looking for, but instead she sort of drags her down this real dark rabbit hole, uh, where things get extremely dark, and when I was watching this film, I just kept wanting to like draw comparisons to David Lynch's uh, Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. Mm-hmm. Because it's basically the story of Laura Palmer you're watching here, but obviously in Japan. Yeah, I mean, um, that, that 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 Mitsuko character. I mean, she's weird because she, she reminds me of some some other. It's very Lynchian because by day she's this tall, willowy, intellectually superior lecturer who reads poetry and has everyone on her you know you another character even mentions the fact doesn't he that 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 that, that well, she's an associate professor she wouldn't need to be in prostitution but then she puts this makeup on and i, I guess she wears a wig and she looks like a different person and this person is on a path to well a fatal path as it turns out but that this this film plays a bit with time, doesn't it? And which which is not a very Sono esque thing, if I remember rightly. He's not he's not huge on old flashbacks and messing around with. No, he with tends to be play. pretty linear, doesn't he, with his yeah. His whereas stories. this one, whereas this one, there's a couple of scenes you're not quite sure when they happened, and then you do realise that most of this film's in flashback. But anyway, yes, she's like two people, this duality, this Mulholland Drive duality, this, as you say, fire, uh, Twin Peaks duality. This is, Laura Palmer's a great, you know, great idea. This, this, She's a perfect girl on one side, but she's actually in the worst kind of place on the other side. Yeah, she's, um, she's I mean, obviously in Twin Peaks, she's sort of like heavily rooted in the dark underbelly of, of the mm. town. And when it looks at uh, Mizumi's character, she's, as I said, she's the perfect housewife by day, but at night she's sort of like hanging around the Love Hotel district. Um, and only well, she's more she's more that in the day, isn't she? Because she has to be home to make his tea. But um, but Mits, but Mitsuko is is really dark. But then sort of takes her on as a mentors her, doesn't she? So it says if you really you know, first rule of this is men pay if men want to get fresh with you and that that is a very under underselling what get fresh means (laughs) men will get fresh with you they pay for it they anything anything men want they pay for it and it's a very empowering story isn't it it's a you think ah yes okay i see the the gender politics here 
you know, men have been taking everything for free from her. Now, now they're going to pay for it. And along with that sexual awakening and the story could have gone somewhere else completely. But instead it turns out that weird Joker bowler hat bloom boy is a mate of Mitsuko's. <laughs> and, but he's a pimp. Yeah. And it's, gets just darker from there, I think. It really does. And, I mean, that's essentially, Mitsuko basically draws in with the same sort of uh, fantastical ideas of, like, stripping and porn and the idea that it's sort of like, yeah, you're embracing your, your power. But at the end of the day, everyone's getting used. Um, it's just all, as I said, it's just how much you buy into the illusion. And certainly with this, this case, I mean, Izumi sort of, like, finds herself quickly out of her depth. And it's when we look at the other storyline here with like the detective investigating these mutilated bodies i mean that itself would have been a great film tell mm. like the crazy killer going around and like turning people into half human cadaver half mannequin things i mean if hannibal see ever gets to season four i would love to see them explore that one mm. um yeah that, there's a great seven like story that the film sets up as yeah and which really use it well well it kind of it kind of solves itself doesn't it because it turns out all these stories are connected but really sono seems more interested in exploring this weird relationship that the police detective what's her name is that kazuko has with this guy and I, i know i may have zoned out but i didn't ever really understand how she'd even got herself into this place um and actually, as it turns out, the story is really hers because <laughs> there's a weird bit of foreshadowing where one of her colleagues tells a story which she ends up living, which is totally different, but basically sort of showing how fucking fruitless life is as a woman in Japan. But yeah, but that, you know, that, that whole, there's got the whole seven vibe with the rain falling everywhere and the neon lights and it's it's fascinating and then Izumi's story just starts out so bright and lovely and you know it reminds me of kamikaze girls with the cinematography and everything you know it's just and then and then they sort of collide together into this dark neon wet filthy oh shithole of a place it uh, it's certainly the last hour. It gets really dark. Up until that point, it's quite a fun romp. But mm. um, once we get into the last, I don't know, the last hour, last thirty minutes of this movie, it just gets super dark. Especially when Azumi's sort of drawn into this world of prostitution, where it turns out that they send out Mitsuku uh, to clients as a way to get them to pay for the VIP service. So they send her out, and she basically acts like a crazy girl. Um, and then the the clients phone him up and ask for the VIP thing so that they can get a nice girl, which is where um, Azumi basically gets brought into it. Um, and it's also at this point where we find out that her husband's actually been diddling prostitutes for years, uh, long before he met her, and that he's having, while he on the surface is presenting this wonderful sense of like self-assuredness and like confidence, but no, he's actually chronically... Um, He's got basically imposter syndrome, and he deals with this by 
he's been basically busying Tim Mitsuku um, and hiring her services. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, so it turns out he's not a sexless person after all. But and then he's a famous romance author. He's written this book, and and housewives up and down the country think he's the best thing ever. He's this handsome, suave bloke who wrote this this romance novel, which I can't think of anything worse personally. But I know people like that kind of shit. I'm guessing like a a nice Mills and Boone kind of deal is going on, isn't it? And yeah, and and no, he's seeing Mitsuki, and and. He ends up in the weirdest infidelity of all time, fucking his wife, <laughs> but not knowing it. <laughs> and and even that, even that's not as dark as it gets because Mitsuku's home life, her mother, is just she's a piece of work. <laughs> she even calls her daughter the c-word. <laughs> She is. She comes across as not being quite there when she's introduced, but we soon find out, no, she is very much there. She just is, um, as I said, she's got some strong opinions on her daughter, for sure. And her father. And the daughter's uh, her ex-husband. So there's, there's, a, there's a dark story behind Mitsuko, which explains a lot. Um, but it's all... It's a bit manic, isn't it? It gets a, a for me, it got a little bit too manic and a lot of screeching and shouting and and fake killing and then real killing um, in the last sort of forty minutes or so. And I have to admit, I, I thought, oh come on, <laughs> get on with it. But it but it turns out we know the victim of the murders. It turns out everybody we've met's involved in some way, shape, or form. But that's not the end of the movie. At, at the end of the movie, we see how far Itsumi has fallen, um, just by becoming a street prostitute and eating cheap noodles by the side of the street, and, and like I said, pissing herself in front of children. I don't even know why. I guess that's just shows that's the ultimate degradation, isn't it? I mean, that, that's what, what's happened to her. She's been totally degraded, lost everything, and um, and even then. And then we find out the, uh, the you know we, we end the film on a on a with with the with the police detective basically ending up in the place where the crimes took place, but in the daytime and seemingly a way into the future. Um, just realising that life's just a fucking, you know, what the, how the fuck did I get here? <laughs> and sometimes we see on Sona films, that's how I feel. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's again, it's it's another long one. I mean, we thought um, Love Exposure is long in and of itself, but both these films put together are another five hours. So it's what, a nine hour, a nine hour trilogy of... Japan ain't the nicest place. <laughs> Nine hours sent down the weird and wonderful rabbit hole of Sion Sono. Um, yeah. In retrospect, I mean, this was certainly an interesting trilogy to do. I think this was a more, dare I say, a more interesting trilogy of films to cover than like if we'd just done the Avengers trilogy. Um, I think this has certainly been a more worthwhile um, special for ourselves. Yeah, did you have a favourite of the three? I kind of lean towards Guilty of Romance for some reason, and I'm not yeah, sure no, why. The, I think that's the same with me. I think I think 
I, I, I would love, I know, I know it was originally six hours long, but if there was a two and a half hour edit of Love Exposure, I think I would love that the most. Oh yeah, I, if you did I, something I, about that last hour, I think then it would, yeah. it would be a lot easier to or, put that or as the cut top. it into four as cut it into like a TV show format and make it four hour long shows. I don't know, something like that. Um, you could probably do something with editing to have the four sort of storylines. Um, Cold, cold fish left me a little bit cold, I have to say. But I guilty of romance again. This is a second watch for me. I bloody love it, and I just think there's it's just got so much going on, so much to say. I do think it's a bit fucking depressing, <laughs> and yeah, and and, and and but it's also it's also got moments of humour in it. Um, probably less moments of humour than cold fish, frankly. But yeah, I think you know, everything I said about cold fish not really have anything to say. I think Guilty Romance li- genuinely has something to say and interesting stories where characters have true arcs whereas in Coldfish I think the fella just was his arc didn't really change until 25 minutes from the end of the film um, we can't really complain about the character arcs in Love Exposure because Everyone, everyone goes through quite a lot there. But yeah, no, I, th- I think Guilty of Romance as well, and and I, and I agree with you. I think the Vengeance trilogy are three excellent films that are also show the growth of the filmmaker. Yeah, Park Chan Wook, you know the the how sympathy for Mister Vengeance looks through to the stylism of Old Boy, through to the gorgeousness of the opening half of. Sympathy for Lady Vengeance shows a, a filmmaker growing, whereas this is work by a filmmaker. I mean, these films are not consecutive. Um, Himazu is in between Coldfish and Guilty Romance. I think there's a film between Love Exposure and um, Coldfish, which is actually quite a normal, straight, quiet piece. I, I can't remember what it is, but I seem to remember reading somewhere that it's not. It's not an exceptionally crazy film. I think. Yeah, I, I, I think I think um, yeah, this is this is Sono at his finest, to be fair. But they are very different films, and the thematic links are ah quite hard to pull <laughs> together. The last two, you know, they're based on real crime, um, and and yeah, I don't, I don't, hate hates a strong word, isn't it? But there's certainly hate in these two. <laughs> I think it's all about the awakening of self, really. Mm. Um, certainly with Coldfish, is the awakening of the inner psychopath. But, um, yeah, it's definitely about, you know, the darker side of, of humanity in many ways. And, um, yeah, it's it, they're just very free, very interesting movies. I mean, obviously, it's I'm not sure I'd advise everyone to sort of sit down and watch them all in a week like we obviously have done. But... Um, I think they're all very free, very interesting movies, and certainly when you look at what followed, I mean, things like Tokyo Try, What Do You Play in Hell, uh, Anti-Porno, the, um, he's only really continued to be a, a fascinating filmmaker, so. Yeah, I just wish he had a little bit more self-awareness. <laughs> I've yet to watch Ghosts of, um, Prisoners of Ghostland, is it? The one he did with Nicolas Cage is... Big uh, West debut. Oh no, I haven't seen that. Although I saw, um, I was in town the other day and I saw it there on DVD, and I just thought, Nah, Nicholas Cage. 
I think it's on. I think it's on Netflix or something now. So oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it is. I was a bit shocked to see some other things already out on. <laughs> Everything just comes out like five minutes after it's been at the cinema. It's terrible. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll look forward. I'm gonna. I'm gonna hopefully see Red Post on Escher Street soon, which apparently is very good. I mean, he's a. Shinichi I know is 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 one of the modern great Japanese filmmakers. Let's not. We can't make bones about that. I think you should be you know if you are a film or foreign cinema there should be a Shion Sono film that you should be able to enjoy however I complain about Takashi Miike films being too long (laughs) 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 and they're always 15 minutes too long some of these are 45 minutes to an hour too long and some I, I yeah I'd love I'd love to see some judicious editing not that I want to you know the the director's visions to be ruined but when you have to take a week off to watch three films it's crazy (laughs) (laughs) indeed anything else you want to bring up tom i don't i don't think so i don't you know i'm I'm glad we've done this i think they're suitable films for our 75th episode extravaganza i think all three would probably end up will end up on our on our list of films to watch adding to show notes numbers on that list um so i'm glad you like guilty of romance because guilty romance mm-hmm. is actually sort of a favorite film of mine and i'd, I'd, I'd forgotten to bring it before yeah so. i think um son Woods, when we look at the directors who made the most impact on this show i mean obviously we've got uh, satoshi khan uh which mm-hmm. we've only got one more film to cover um Samuel Hung certainly made his own impact on the show as a as a performer and sion sono i mean has made numerous from way back and when we did like uh, XT hair extensions indeed one of our first episodes um, was that a second episode third episode something like that mm, um, yeah somewhere around those single digit ones yeah um, and I think some of that might be because and if we just talk about the show in general as it's an anniversary edition you know I think we've still avoided stuff <laughs> I think we I think we've um, we could have done more films from uh, Bong Joon Ho. We could have done more films from Jackie Chan. Um, it took us a long time to get to a Bruce Lee film, didn't it? Um, we, I, I think, we have, and, and in a good way. I think we've avoided the obviousness that we could have easily fallen down. But Shono does seem to be when we come back to a lot. I think, yeah, I think with Sono, I mean, there's obviously, when it comes to obviously picking films that we discuss on the show, I mean, obviously there is the element of, like, being something, looking at something that hasn't been discussed, like, a thousand times before, um, which is what, sort of like the reluctance to do, like, the audition episodes. And suddenly when we were doing, like, our Halloween episodes, and it was always, like, what's the less obvious horror titles we can cover? And I think that's always been sort of, like, what we've done why we've always done like the big titles for every 25 episodes we've done like a big title mm. like we did battle royale we did seven samurai and now we're obviously here doing the hate trilogy for 75 and um yeah thank you everyone for voting for this one this was a, a great pick by you guys um but but but, ne- but next time can we have something lighter <laughs> yeah next <laughs> next time we've got something real special because it'd be a hundredth episode our next big one and we have got something real special let's hope so let's hope we don't chicken out (laughs) okay um but yeah that brings us to the end of tonight's episode thank you very much for listening hope you've enjoyed this bumper length episode 
um, as we've obviously broke down Sion Sono's Hate Trilogy, uh, Love Exposure, Coalfish, and Guilty of Romance. Definitely go check them out. Um, Love Exposure, you can find on a couple of platforms. It's on Arrow Player, it's on the BFI Player. Um, you can also get it through Terracotta's uh, streaming service as well. Coalfish is available on Shudder, and Love Guilty of Romance is one you're going to have to track down. Because I don't know what happened with the DVD release, but it seems to be deleted. And there seems to be no platforms currently streaming it either at the moment. But I'm sure if you do some internet digging, you should be able to find it. But, um, yeah, thank you again for listening. Thank you again for supporting us for 75 plus episodes of the show. And for making us, uh, helping us get the word out there helping us introduce more people to asian cinema we appreciate all you guys uh support there if you haven't done already please do hit the like and subscribe button though leave us a review let us know in the comments what you think of the show because it all helps raise the profile of the show you can follow us on facebook and instagram and twitter and you can also check out our blog which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com which has got our full archive episodes as well as reviews and other good stuff on there as well but um thank you again for listening thanks to my co-host steven pleasure as always and uh, we'll be back very soon until then good night This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.